This is Jesse, GM of the Dragon Fisters Actual Play Podcast, and you're listening to Legends of Tabletop. It is now time for the second scene of the show, and our first player is going to be... Oh, it's Filippo! The great Pacini. <laughs> the great Filippo Pacini. I mean, around town, it's just the great Pacini. Okay, so our theme is Voices of the Dead. You have got a drama token for helping Morgan with her, her problem between these two gangs. Uh, there is a show going on in the theater... I'm not sure whether you're actually cast in the show or whether you're like just the director or just the proprietor as far as the show is concerned. But there is a show of Don Juan going on tonight and it's the, the day of the dead. You may have dead relatives or friends of your own that you want to honor. So set the scene for us. Where are you in the next scene? When is it? Cause you can time jump if you want to, who are you with and why are you here? I'm going to say he's with his stage crew behind the curtains uh, watching the performers perform. And it's later in the evening as all the uh, festivities start to wind down. People pour into the theater to watch a show about the Day of the Dead. Okay, let's hear your intent. What is it that you uh, that you want or what purpose are, is this thing going to serve for you? Well, he's actually he's keeping an eye out. Uh, so there's a sub story I was going to inject that there's these two um, disputing gangs, which I guess we just <laughs> kind of injected that already, uh, where he's looking to the group mind is ahead of you. He's looking to get a hold of someone because he needs to try to settle a sort of peace or truce between <clears throat> rival factions. And I'll leave that up to you, whatever the rival factions are. Well, you know what? You did just remind me of something. Uh, so we can go ahead and do your expository scene. But before we do that, I'm supposed to have you make a roll because you got these side hustles going on all the time. And at the beginning of each episode, which for you now is now, we need you to roll your, uh, is it do the hustle? Yeah, it's do the hustle, right? It's a hustling move. So you're going to have to roll 1d6 and add your, instead of sneaking, I think you used a different stat. Was it sleight of hand? Sleight of hand. Yeah. Okay. So you're going to roll 1d6. You're going to add sleight of hand. You want to roll as high as you can. Four plus a sleight of hand. Uh, uh, and the total is? You know what? This, basically, just to, fill the, just to fill the audience in, he's got this skill called Do the Hustle, where he's got two rackets going on on the side. Well, now, he chose Surveillance, which is a network of informants like we saw him speaking to in the opening shot. And also, he's a fixer, arranging for the right people to meet each other to make deals happen. And this role is to see, like how that racket has been doing lately. What kind of position? What's the um, ability spread? You said it was, I know there's <coughs> one's the lowest, two oh, in the middle, and one's the highest. What's the yeah. point totals for those? I can actually just look up your stats here. Hang on. Yeah, I didn't write them down. I got to write them down in the actual. All right. Document. You are sleight of hand three. Ah, that's what it is. Business two, talking two. And moving one because he's got. I want to develop. He has a he has a limp and a cane, 
I just thought it'd be a great character element. He got injured at some point, and so he still has sort of a limp. So your roll is a four, and you're actually adding three. So you got yeah, so seven. seven. You profited from both your surveillance or extortion network because they were basically we saw them, you know, in that opening shot giving you information. Um, so you're making money off of that surveillance. You also made money from arranging for people to meet each other. So you have two monies. Ooh, two whole monies. Huh? Yeah. Now, money, monies are relative in this game. Like a, a money for a rich person is a lot bigger than a money for a poor person. So it's literally two monies. All right. Cool. So now take us back into your scene. Uh, are there any other PCs in there with you? Oh, yeah. He's got his uh, right-hand man there, which I didn't generate a name for. And he's got his crew. He has various stage. So on the surface level, it is like an actual theater. So he has a theater troupe. He has the um, the lead manager who, or probably a couple managers, like a morning crew, day crew. I don't know. Let me step back. So he has his staff, various performers, and a manager. And then he has his assistant. And they run the theater like an actual theater business. And he sort of distanced himself slowly over the years to where he just sort of uh, does other things on the side and then comes in and oversees projects as they're being done, unless it's a special occasion and he comes out and does his own performance stuff. He's also, uh, oh, no, you know what? He's tutoring other uh, local people in the magician arts. He's looking for more apprentices and local kids who want to learn magic and stuff like that. Okay, but tonight is a special night. There's the oh. Don Juan show is going on. So what's he doing right now? And what does he, what does he want out of this scene? What's his purpose here? Uh, his purpose is that, one, he wants a good show. He always wants the highest. You know, it's, it's his brand, so he always wants the best of the best, the greatest show that his people can put together. Uh, but, two, he's looking for a specific contact in a faction to talk to them uh, aside the show and pull them aside or talk to them during an intermission. Uh, okay. Well, this is your scene, so you can, you can cast it. Are you, uh, are you able to contact them? Is there somebody here that I should play? Uh, I'm going to say that not only is the, uh, so I rolled the one. So I'm going to say not only is the person he's after not here, uh, but the rival that he's trying to start a uh, truce with is there and he doesn't want to talk to them. Uh, without the other person first. Okay, so, so he's kind of so like... He, what does he do? Give us the... What does the camera see here? Well, he's behind the curtains, and he's kind of glimpsing through the uh, through the curtains and looking at the stage, and all the... He could see all the faces in the audience lit up, and his performance are doing the motions of the different scenes from Don Juan, and... Whew, I feel like I'm out of uh, creative juice today. Okay. Um, maybe if you look at your desires or your polls, um, because there is something between you and this old theater that might, is. Be, might be neat to show people. You've been having some spooky shit go on, like when you're all by yourself lately. Yeah. Let's yeah, see. when I'm by myself, I'm haunted. What, what is that like? Oh, you know what? There, there you go. Uh, so behind him, since he's he's alone and his assistant has gone off to do other things and he's in the darkness of the rear theater and he hears his grandfather and his, his great uncle behind him whispering into his ears, you know, the, this is not the type of performances that we told you to do. 
You have twisted it. You have done it wrong. You have brought great evil to the family. And it's like cold and there's ice sort of uh, all the surfaces that are, are reflective sort of ice over. And he hears them and he feels their their breath upon his neck. And when he looks, they're not there, but he, he huh. hears them constantly. Shit, bro. That's going to drive you to drinking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, no. You know what? I'll, I'll go with that. He has a hip. He has a little flask and he takes a shot of scotch and <laughs> he rubs his temples and he's like, keep it together, Filippo. Keep it together. <laughs> All right. Is there anything else you, you want to establish in this scene? Uh, since the, the other rival persons there of the faction that he kind of wants to shut down because they're being aggressive, and I'm going to say it's not uh, Tigre, but a different, uh, very aggressive faction in town, <coughs> uh, probably a little farther away. He mm-hmm. kind of wants to, the vigilante in him starts speaking up, and he hears, you know, like, you you need to give him his just desserts. And he's kind of formulating, and the gears are turning in his head of some way that he can make this man face the aggression that he's put out to other people. But he needs an in, and he needs more research before he could really do that. So I think he's going to follow him after the man leaves the theater. Okay, um... After the man leaves the theater, we see uh, Filippo peering around the corner. Uh, it's the guy that we saw uh, in the opening sequence with the shades and the expensive suit. He gets into a limo. He's got attendants and drivers surrounding him. They look not only expensive and well-groomed, but also carrying heat. Uh, and he gets into his limo. So um, do you have a car? I'm assuming he has... Like a small car. Yeah. Like one of those smart cars or something. Just really. What, what, kind, of car what kind of car does Filippo Pacini drive? Uh, no, you know what? I'll go with like, um, oh gosh, the ones that they had in the 70s is little tiny, like foreign uh, cars that are basically like just a tin can. What, like a little Peugeot or something? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'll look up some car brands here, but <laughs> it's like something from Italy or France or one of those places that you oh, see okay. in the old series movies. And so you get in your little car and you drive off following the, the big stretch limo, huh? Yeah, and he, and he knows to give it like a certain amount of lead. I'm tr- what I'm trying to determine is whether this is an exposition scene or a dramatic scene. Because if it's an exposition scene, we're probably done. And if it's a dramatic scene, we have to figure out whether you got or didn't get something that you're looking for. Okay, okay. He is trying to uh, find out where these people operate out of. They've been very uh, good at keeping quiet on where their their home, ter- or not their home, but their, their central operations is. So he's doing reconnaissance. He's got a little binoculars on a stick, and he's like, drives to follow them and then when they stop he parks down the road and he watches them oh okay so um the limo goes to the outskirts of the airport on the northwest side of town and uh there are some hangars out there that are rented out privately by rich individuals who have their own plane um the limo pulls up to one of these big quonset hut type buildings and they all get out and go inside there 
apparently they've been making this hangar at the airport their base of operations that's why yeah the um the guy who you're trailing by the way is uh, a cartel boss named of abel cisco everybody calls him mr cisco so here's a question is that tied to the people who were after tio it is in fact one and the same that would put everything together. It's a basic piece of the puzzle. I found out the car, too. It's a, a Fiat Tempra. That's the kind of little beater, just an old-school, cheap-ass car. Okay. That's kind of perfect. That's exactly what I pictured him driving. <laughs> I mean, I'd, sure, I'd love, like, a magician's car with, you know, like, fancy stuff and, uh, uh, like, colors and flyers and stuff. But that's only for when he's doing a show on the road or something he has like a van or whatever with a you know like showman stuff and he brings all his crew but this is his personal just around okay you know what i'm going to turn this into a procedural scene because i want to give you a role to find something out okay so that is i'll make a roll what am i doing yeah it's 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 not going to be from talking though it hmm this should be from knowing. So add knowing to whatever you rolled just now. Okay. What do you got? Figure out those numbers. So I got a six, but I got to figure out what my knowing is. Uh, what are our numbers for the rest of those stats? Uh, they're all zero. If you don't, if there's only four of them that are not zero. Yeah. Uh, so we'll go with just a six. Okay. Um, so you do get a little bit of uh, bonus information. I'm going to say that is. Uh, you hang out there for a while, watching the hangar, and you see a couple people come and go. When uh, Cisco gets up uh, to to greet one of them at the door, you see some stuff exchange hands, and damn if it doesn't look like the guy just gave Mr. Cisco a bag of those same kind of joints that you saw in Morgan's shop. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> All right, so that's where we'll end the scene. You were you were looking to find out Cisco's base of operations, and you've now found it. It's a, a, a private hangar up at the airport on the northwest side of town. And it's time for Javier. Javier, you are up. It's time for you to tell us where you are. Now, remember, you can time jump as much as you want, forward or even backward, who you're with, when is it, and why are you there? What are you looking for in this scene? I was thinking when we started that maybe uh, the scene starts, the camera pans across the desert. You see some scrub, cactus, and whatnot. Then you see a coyote kind of padding through, you know, just kind of walks through the shot. The camera follows it, and he winds up, you know, walking for a little bit, comes up the back of of Tio's house. Um, There's like a shimmer as Javier takes his, his human shape. Uh, he's coming out from the direction of the um, the cave of the shining lady. Cave of the shining lady. He's coming from that direction. Uh, okay. It's the the morning of you know the previous scene. So he's coming in from you know the previous night and uh, comes into the house. It's, Wait, so we just we just backed up like twelve hours? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So he comes into the house. It's quiet. You now, obviously, the lights are off and everything. So he kind of pads around looking. He pulls his clothes back on. He leaves his clothes by the back door. Uh, so he's walking through. You know, doesn't see Tio. He's not there. Thinks it's strange, right? It's the you know the morning of the beginning of the festival for the Day of the Dead. 
Um, doesn't think, you know, well, maybe went out, maybe went to go get some of the, get some of the stuff. Um, sleeps for a little bit, gets up in the morning, you know, a little bit later, and then comes out, still no T.O., goes to make breakfast, he sees the note. You know, notes, hey, I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to be out for a little bit. I, I have to do a thing. You know, if you need to, talk to Filippo. You know, make sure you follow through all the preparations for tonight. You know, it's the festival. Um, you know, do what needs to be done. And then, I I don't know. I mean, I, it's more of an expositional thing, like the revelation that something's going on. And then, you know, he doesn't think anything of it right away, so he doesn't say anything when they're at the at the Botanica. He's like, oh, well, maybe he's, you know, he's out for the day, he's doing things, he's seeing people, it's, you know, he's kind of taking care of community business, but then he doesn't come back. Probably. Yeah, okay, well, this can all be, this can all be, you know, like a, a flashbacks in your head, what's, you know, it, it's on your mind, it's, it's bothering you, but I kind of want to see you do something. Do something, act, yeah. Active, yeah. Uh, it might be something tied to your desire or one of your polls. Or it might be something linked to the scene that we just saw. Now, remember, for instance, that we have told the audience, you know, like, you you want Tio back from Filippo. Mm. But, but on camera, we haven't actually seen that happen. Right. Well, he's, he wasn't, you know, he's not overly concerned that day yet. But as it, you know, like, you know, sort of draws in, into the evening, I guess maybe he would be uh, more. Tio, are you saying that Tio's disappearance is really just one day ago? Yeah, like, like, yeah, right. Okay, that, that's that's my head canon anyway. <laughs> okay, well, all right. So then I'm going to jump you forward into present time because in present time, your desire to get Tio back is actually w- one of your driving character goals. So, uh, so maybe he's always home by this time, or. He never misses El Dia de Muerto, but for whatever reason, and you tell me what it is, now it's now it's bothering you and you need to do something. What do you do? Uh, he starts to beat feet towards the theater to go and find Filippo to find out exactly what the note means. Like they hadn't gone to his grandmother's grave yet. Like he was waiting for him to do that and he didn't come back. Cool. Let's. You wouldn't miss that. Let's follow you to the theater and cut to interior where you meet with Filippo. Right, so maybe I maybe I snag Filippo as he's. Don't be afraid to do this, gentlemen. We we actually need this to happen for PCs to interact in the same scene. So maybe it's before uh, you know before you leave to go on your little chase. Maybe you're at you know wandering around like he sees you peeking through the curtain, maybe. And kind of makes his way sort of around to the side, you know, and grabs one of your guys and is like, uh, I, uh, I, I need to speak to Filippo. I have uh, a matter of need to discuss with him. All right. Yeah, they take him to the backstage. Uh, it's Manny, right? No, Javier. Javier. <laughs> well, get this right. I swear to God. They're not even close. <laughs> oh, Javier. It's good to see you. I, it's good to see you as well. Um, it was a, it's a good thing you did earlier tonight. Uh, I wasn't sure how that would play out. I had no desire to, uh, to be shot this evening. The community protects its own. 
what what brings you to the theater? Have you come to see the show? You are halfway through. You have missed quite a bit. No, I uh, I had gone home afterwards, uh, set up a few things. Uh, Tio hadn't come home yet. He's he's usually it's, home by it's now. Sort of the statuesque, quiet poker face at that name. <laughs> <laughs> he he doesn't he doesn't catch it right away because he's like he's concerned now. Uh, we we hadn't yet gone to uh, uh, Abuela's grave tonight. I was waiting for him to come in. Uh, he'd left a note this morning. I didn't think anything of it, but uh, he said that he had some business with you. Hmm. You love your tío very much, I think. I do. We have a problem, and I wish to respect your tío's wishes because he is gone by his own volition originally. However, he has been put into a situation he cannot come back from. Uh, not like he's still alive. <laughs> let me let me not uh, split hairs. <laughs> uh, he's fine. He's healthy. He's taken care of. But uh, the place that I have put him, he the the place does not want to let him go. However, there are people there, and I can put you in contact with them, and you can negotiate to see your tío but you will have to negotiate through the people who keep him safe because I do not know if you know this, but he had some danger that had come to him. You didn't mention anything to me. What danger do you speak of? I'm not quite at liberty to say the confidentiality of my clients, but I can let him explain it to you if the people who are keeping him safe would allow that. Uh, give me one moment. And he, he pulls out his phone and he makes a call to whatever group it is that's holding Tio. He steps a little well, bit closer to try to hear what's going on on the phone. Yeah, that would be Casper. Oh, hey. He calls Casper up. What's up, I say? Uh, well, one, I wanted to thank you again for earlier. I know this uh, the community needs to take care of its own. Um, however... You are ho- uh, what? What? What do they call Tio? They don't just call him Tio. Do they? His name is Martin. Oh, his, his name is Martin. Martin. He's like, I have a sort of a situation. Um, do you have Martin available? Martin Castillo. You have Martin Castillo available. He's here. You need to speak with him. I can relay a message. His nephew. He's very concerned and has come looking for him. Uh, I take it to be that he is not a danger to him, but he wishes to speak to his tío, and it has to go through you first, since it is, of course, your obligations. Put him on. He hands over the phone. He he's like he's scowling now because he was like, "Oh, earlier this night and everything." So he's like, he's putting it together. It can only be one person. So he takes the phone and kind of gives you a dirty look. Casper? What's up, little man? Why is my uncle with you? Your uncle is, uh, he's helping us out and we're helping him out. Turns out that, uh, you know, there's a little bit of pressure and uh, he had to make himself scarce. Listen, nobody knows better than me how to protect him because uh, I'm under the same pressure myself. Don't worry about your uncle. He's going to be fine. You know what? Next time you see him, he's going to have a shiny new suit 
We're going to make that old man rich. Don't you worry about a thing. When am I going to see him again? Well, it's going to be a little while, okay? I can't tell you how many days. I'm going to say a number of days. There's a little bit of heat on right now. Cisco's in town. Go ahead and uh, roll plus knowing. All right. Uh, I got a four plus two is six. Oh, yeah. You totally know who Cisco is. He's a, he's a big deal. He's, uh, he represents one of the cartels from south of the border. And uh, he would love to control all drug traffic in this town. Uh, I don't see how Cisco's presence here is of any concern to my uncle or, or myself. That's not business that we deal with. Listen, you put yourself at risk talking to me. I don't know whose phone is tracked by who, but I'll give you one more piece of information. If you feel like sticking your neck out so far, your head might be chopped off. Your uncle is helping us move a little bit of product. He knows his stuff. The old man provides quality and we provide distribution. You're familiar with the little smoke? Where do you think it comes from? Suddenly, two plus two comes together in your head. That bag of joints that uh, was slid over to Morgan, that wasn't weed. Usually La Familia 13 deals with weed. Um, but the papers were different. They were this dark brown that your Tio likes to use. The little smoke is a mild hallucinogen. It's one of the sacramental ritual uh, uh, ingredients of many of the ceremonies that you performed with him. It's like a low, a low level hallucinogen. It has like, uh, you know, short term effects, 30 to 60 minutes. He, uh, he just kind of looks away, you know, kind of like looks down, says, those are, that is not a recreation. These are part of our sacraments. These are, these are ritualistic. I Listen, little man. Business is business. You're going to have to grow up sometime and deal with the real men in the real world. Money and power can be found in many ways, and this is but one avenue. In the meanwhile, it's helpful that your uncle needed a place to hide, because, like I said, he scratches my back and I scratch his. I, he just he like shakes his head. I, he's he's at this at this point. Filippo puts his hand out for the phone. He, he looks at you and kind of gives you a sour look and then hands the phone over. It's a lot to process. All right. I apologize very much. <laughs> I am very um, sorry for this, but it will occur. People will come looking. Thank you for earlier, and you have a good night. Happy day. Or, you know, uh, buenos den, uh, noches dias. <laughs> yeah, whatever. I can't say it right now. No, I, I, I think that's hysterical if if, uh, if Filippo is always getting the, the conjugation wrong. <laughs> he, he does the Italian conjugation. Like he, he speaks like five languages, but only half-assed. <laughs> it's, just, it's, it's like a patchwork of random words. <laughs> All right. I think that the, the scene closes there. So, so, John, what was Javier's intent? What did he want out of the scene? I'm sure he didn't expect to literally get Tio back immediately. But uh, you were looking for information that might lead to that. Do you feel you got any sort of concession? Um, I, I mean, he knows that that Casper has him now. Um, I okay. mean, that's, so that's you, more you than what he knew before. 
Right. So I, I think you did get a get a concession out of Filippo. Yeah, I mean, he made the call for me. So okay. So uh, at this point, the drama point will go to Filippo. If it was, if you had any, uh, it would be going from you to him. But since you don't, it's coming from the kitty. Okay. At that point, he tells him, your tío has chosen his path. And then he looks out and he sees the guy leaving. And then that's where he exits to the previous scene. And and the iris down is him just like standing there kind of like bewildered at all of this crazy information that's being thrown at him. Awesome. So uh, it it is now Manny's scene. And just like the others before, you can jump forward or back in time, however you want to do. When calling a scene, uh, you tell us where you are, who is there with you. Uh, You can pull anybody in you want, PC or NPC. You can make somebody up. I'll play it. What time is it? When is it? You know, where are we in time? And what is it you want? What what are you doing here? All right. Uh, I actually think I'm going to go in a slight rewind, but just barely. Uh, to right after the incident at Morgan's. Uh, So, and I'm going to pull Javier into this. And I actually, I'm, I'm going to play almost directly into uh, the contact with that, because uh, especially uh, I think right now, nobody really knows that Javier is missing. And, you know, Javier kind of found that out, but he's going to be finding that out soon. You mean that Martin uh, is missing? Oh, uh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. So that, yeah. So he's actually going to be attempting to negotiate and or drive to a path with Martin. So I'm actually going to be like, I don't see Javier all that much. And so having this, this shared encounter and also having him right here, I'm going to try to like kind of wait up the block a little bit and like catch him off. I'm not trying to rob him, but like catch him off guard to like approach him and, and confront him about giving me the opportunity to speak with Martin. Okay. So like, uh, Hey, uh, do you got a minute kind of thing? Yeah, exactly. Let's see. Like you haven't, you haven't returned. I've, I've left you messages like, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so I'll be like I'm waiting. Backing I'm yeah. backing up. Talk to him. <laughs> yeah, so so Manny will kind of be waiting around the corner, like up the block, uh, waiting for Javier to to come by. He comes trucking by with his, you know, box of candles and incense and other sundry things. Hey, hey, uh, can I give you a hand with them? I, I I've got it. What's uh, what's going on? No, you uh, I've. I've left you some notes. I, you know, I swung by your place. It didn't look like you were there, and uh, you know, tried to try to call Martine a couple of times, so he hasn't uh, hasn't been returning my calls. Uh, well, I mean, we uh, we think differently, you and I. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, listen, I'm just I'm just trying to get some stuff done, and uh, and you know, your uncle's your uncle's kind of the only game in town right now. And I, uh, I think that, you know, if uh, it, I, I don't really understand the bad blood that we got, it's it doesn't really make sense to me. But, you know, I, I was expecting you was, you know, you knew and, you know, the uh, 
I, I was hoping that you kind of have a little bit more of an open eye towards this. Well, I mean, I, by the way, you guys are surrounded by throngs of people milling about and mm-hmm. loud music and the smells of food and frankincense. This is this is not a quiet corner. Mm-hmm. And you could probably also like triple that noise for Manny as he also like sees. Um, oh man! And you probably see him too, like glance up and away from you and back to your as uh, to your uh, to your view, Javier, as. You know, he sees like intermittent spirits like come into view and then fade out every once in a while. Oh, mm-hmm. trippy. <laughs> he says, uh, I've, I've heard things. Uh, I don't know that there's bad blood between us necessarily. Uh, I don't know that I trust you, is the issue. And he's kind of sick of this. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he's. Uh, I what have I ever done to you or your uncle or anyone else around here? You know, all you all you do is just is just look at us from sideways glances, cross the road when we're coming, you know, and and all I'm asking for is is just a little just a little word, just a little help. I'm not even asking for a handout. I just need some help and you won't we, even do that. We have we have seen People come through, people that we've had to help remove the results of your practices. But you wish to make that stronger? No, I want to control it. You know, if, <laughs> if there's stuff happening because of what I'm doing, then that's on me. Indeed. You know, I'm working with what I got and people come to me and I try to help them with what I can do. And, you know, if that's not good enough, then then help me get that done. And you know what? If you can help me or, or if your uncle can help me control it, then I'm, I'm done. You don't have to worry about anything else from me. I would have to consult. I have to consult my, my Tio. He has said nothing to me of bringing on yet another apprentice. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm, I don't want any of that, of, of that shaman stuff that I'm not asking to, to join your cult or, <laughs> or, or anything like that. You say that. <laughs> I just, I, I just need some point. I just need some advice. That's all. There's no one in your family that can help you. You know about my family. Indeed. Then we find We find ourselves where we are now. Just have Martine. Give me a call or swing by or anything. That's all I'm asking. I will see what I can do. He uh, is currently unavailable. When he returns, I shall speak with him. Sure, sure you will. He uh, and yeah, and say it's like and uh, you should have gotten the gray ones, pointing to the candles. <laughs> Those yellows aren't going to do anything for you. And he'll just walk away. <laughs> he just shakes his head. Wow. Uh, okay, so Jesse, do you feel that you you got any kind of emotional concession? Uh, if anything, I think I got the exact opposite. <laughs> I think that only heightened the, the, the tension and conflict between the two of them. Yeah, I, I think you're right. Mm-hmm. And, and so uh, the drama token is going to you. Ooh, I get a token? Get a token. Yeah. I'm, oh, I'm screen sharing. Got to stop before I can start. There we go. Look at that. Jesse got one. Sean has got two. 
that is we have finished one round people yay and I now find it like, fascinating all the scenes were in the reverse order right <laughs> it was this scene then our scene behind the theater <laughs> and me going off oh yeah, yeah yeah that's true it's like memento over here <laughs> All right, so I think we're gonna. I'm gonna do that that final scene, and then we'll do post game bookkeeping, which there's really not much. So, uh, you guys split off and go into separate directions. It turns out that it is the theater that um, Javier is headed toward, and then he has his conversation with Filippo, and the camera pulls back up and away from the theater and spins around as you see. It has now gotten very dark, but the colored lights are everywhere, and there's little bonfires burning. There's still people walking to and from the cemetery, and off in the distance you see the ghosts of the dead sitting on the cemetery walls and on their tombstones, and some of them leaving the cemetery to follow their families home. And Morgan stands in the back door of the Botanica, looking across the street, at, uh, or rather in the front door of the Botanica, looking across the street at the park and all the people and all the children and smelling all the smells. Um, a car pulls up and it's Casper who gets out. Uh, he comes up to her and he says, look, I'm gonna try to say this as nicely as I can because I like you. And he reaches up and he touches her hair. She sort of pulls away a little bit, but you know, sort of, she resists flinching completely um he says i'm gonna take care of you but i need you to do just one more thing if uh if anybody comes around looking for the source of the little smoke you can't tell them it comes from la familia you're gonna have to say oh maybe you make it yourself you can do that for me can't you and we'll make sure you're protected she looks at him and understands that nothing comes without a cost she swallows and nods he says that's a good girl now you move product, we all make money. Letitia is not going to move in on you. And then he comes really close to her and says, I might move in on you, but that's uh, that's another thing. She swallows hard and tries to smile. And the camera pulls back as the celebrators move down the road, singing and drinking and marching onward toward the cemetery. The end. So there's our first episode. It's a short one. It's a pilot. Hopefully it got your attention, makes you question things, makes you want to tune in for the next episode to see what the hell's going on with these guys. Here's the way the book game goes at the end uh, of the game. We, uh, we've done our closing scene. If there was, now let's talk amongst ourselves a little bit. Um, but I know that Filippo, Definitely played into the theme of speaking with the dead, hearing voices literally in that scene in the theater. Jesse definitely played into voices of the dead because we saw him watching the dead walking around in the streets surrounding them. I don't think, I'm sorry to say, I don't think we saw Javier playing into the theme, so I'm going to give one drama token to Jesse and one to Sean. These do roll over. So the next episode, Jesse's going to start with two. Sean is going to start with three drama tokens. Um, remember to check out the rulebooks. There's a bunch of circumstances in which they may be used, but basically put yourself in a scene, take yourself out of a scene, or change something in a scene, or to force someone to agree with something that they prefer not to, but you're going to bribe them to do it. Uh, so that's what those are. And then the very last thing we do is learning. Okay, I think I made everyone do at least one roll. I don't know if they were signature moves. Did anybody use a signature move? 
Nope. I didn't. No. I had the hustle at the beginning of the scene or whatever to get the. They got me monies. That's true. Filippo did do a signature move. Uh, Manny, you didn't meet anybody new, so there's no chance for a bad reputation. And Javier, no chance for turning in anything. So, so Filippo, you you are the only one who gets to learn something. Now, here's what you can do with this. You can either add one point to a strong ability. That's uh, an integer greater than zero. You can add one point to a weak ability. That's a zero. Turn it to a one. You can take a new signature move from one of your categories. Or you can take a signature move from any other category as long as no other PC has it. <sighs> the exception to that rule is that if you choose a Magia move, you need a mentor. I'm going to put knowing to one because it seemed like it's his character. Mm, that does make sense. And there we are. So... um the next time we meet, it will be episode two. I will choose a different theme. Uh, you'll play into that theme, but it will, in theory, pick up where this story left off and continue from there. It was like uh, getting in the water, you know? Like it was frigid at first, and you just don't want to go in. And then once we got it first, it was, it was like swimming like a fish. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you, you might have been um, off doing your, your household chores when I was talking to to Jesse about that, but literally, as as Jesse pointed out, it's all character driven. It comes straight off your PC sheet. So unlike a lot of games where your background is incidental to the adventure on screen, uh, here the adventure on screen comes literally from your background. So if you ever don't know what to do, you just look at your character sheet and you go, "Well, my desire is this. This is what I want." Mm-hmm. Like Agreed. right right now, how would I get that? It was it was also a personal thing because it's just I haven't played in a long time. Uh, it's just like I don't know. It's the game is very different than a lot of other games. Mm-hmm. Oh, but what true. really, what really hit it with me too is actually Todd when you were talking to John about his scene, and uh, it's basically the easiest way to do it is to to pick a pole. <laughs> you know, yeah. picking a pole, figuring out how it connects into your desire, and that. And, yeah. and using that as a as a drive for the scene that you're going to do, that was that was that's what helped me in in deciding what that I was what I was going to do with Javier. Well, you know what? It not only um, you know like frames and cuts and forms character character driven narrative like a like a TV show does, but if you think about it, the the way that probably you know best practice for us interrelating as a as a creative collaborative group is also like television. If you imagine, you know, the writer's room at a typical TV series, especially mm-hmm. soap operas or telenovelas, where there is a there's a whole room full of writers and most of them have one character that there's that's their main that's their main thing. That's their main character. And they carry the plot lines that involve that character and then they brainstorm ways to interweave all of their plot lines. And meanwhile mm-hmm. there's a director or a showrunner or sometimes both. And he's the one that, like, you know, keeps the keeps the whole thing gel, like, you know, make sure nobody wanders off so far we're in the wrong genre or whatever, and provides the color that fills in the gaps between what the writers are coming up with. So it's, it, I think if you do it right, it not only feels slash looks like a TV show, but it also gets written like a TV show. So am I correct in mapping out that it's, it's Cisco is looking for T.O.? 
and that it's Casper who's hiding him. Because that, that, that is, seems that was originally we pitched it was going to be like the cartel and then a smaller gang, and those are the two things that popped up in the story. So, I, unless there's a another thing, we uh, don't well, that's that's where I'm going, and it seems to be where you were going too. So, uh, um, Cisco represents the cartel, and uh, La Familia turns out to be um, not only people you've done business with the, in the past, but also the people that you hid Tio with. Uh, What's fascinating is then it turns out on top of that that Tio is providing La Familia with a drug that Cisco wants to control, which is why they say Tio is a resource. Yeah, but it's fascinating. It's all emergent. That stuff just sort of made itself into the story. I had to. I had to like quickly come up with some reason because you said they don't want to let him go. And I'm thinking, are they are they making him do magic for them? And that's that seemed really weird. Um, mm. Then I thought, oh well, yeah, he knows how to make all these weird hallucinogens and shit, like Don Juan, you know, Carlos Castaneda's mm. kind of stuff. So yeah, the little smoke—that's actually a reference to Castaneda. Mm. Uh, Don Juan may just teaches him how to make and smoke the little smoke. <laughs> nice. So I have a I have a world question. Um, how, how much is, uh, is the thing like what Javier is like shape shifting and shamanism and everything like that. And even like the, the, the Brujo magic, like, is that how much of that is, is real within the world? <laughs> like, like well-known within this area? Like, oh yeah, of course Javier was a coyote. Like how much? How much of that would not catch people off guard, and how much of it is like, like stories that like people want to believe? It, it is. It, it like is. How exactly much of it like, is real, and how much of it is Santa? It, like, is, ex- <laughs> it is exactly like the the real world modern day. The genre that that okay. uh, we're emulating is called magical realism, and uh, like the the Don Juan books of Carlos Castaneda, mm-hmm. um, or like. Uh, uh, a lot of other movies, but um, mostly this is a literary thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the genre treats supernatural events with every bit as much realism as it treats normal narrative events. But what may differ is people's understanding of it. Mm-hmm. So just like the real world today, if you go to certain communities and you ask did he really turn into a, a coyote? Mm-hmm. They would say, of course he did. But if you go to another community and they're like, are you an idiot? <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, and so the, I think one more is that, so they're the people that obviously believe that he would have, but then if they saw him do it, would they be like, oh yeah, that's how he turned into a coyote again. Or would they freak the F out? They would probably <laughs> freak the f out or decide they were hallucinating. I mean, yeah. that, that so it's one of those things where like right. they be- they believe it, but at the same time, like almost nobody's ever really seen it happen. Yeah, and All I mean, right. there are, and I'm sure you've read about them, and probably believe in at least a few, uh, you know, magi or gurus or mm-hmm. you know, Hindu mystics or zen monks or who have performed feats that seem physically impossible and made things happen 
seemingly with their mind or known things that they couldn't possibly have known. As a matter of fact, I think almost everyone has had at least one completely unexplainable thing happen mm. in their own life, right? And what you decide to interpret that as, well, that's up to your worldview and your character. Mm -hmm. But the fact that something inexplicable happened, yeah. that you don't doubt. A, a good uh, a good literary thing, uh, aside from Carlos Castaneda, is uh, Charles. <laughs> uh, he, he does, so the magical realism, urban fantasy is the same thing. Mm. Uh, Charles DeLint is one of the best writers for that. And he has some stuff set in the American Southwest. Hmm. But all of his, his, his novels kind of cover that sort of, you know, the real world and the magical world, and they sit side by side. And mm -hmm. you, you know, know what also does that? I think you could say that the, the typical vampire masquerade kind of a thing, that's mm. magical realism too, because you know, vampires are real. There, there's one, you know, next door. You just didn't know. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I think that's, yeah, that's, that's always a fine line when you're dealing with any genre that deals with, you know, the supernatural, the mystical or anything is how, uh, a, how much do people buy into it? And also how regular is it? So like I, the thing I like about like like this setting and like you know vampire masquerade and all that kind of stuff is like it happens but it's all sub level. So like all the like most of the time the characters and everything that we play play the sub level just below like common knowledge of the world. Yeah, um, the marginalized cultures where mm -hmm. magic still exists. Right. You know, on the on the other side of the other border. <laughs> Also, find the subject uh, analogous to the UFO thing, where you know it's you do. Was it a hallucination? Did we see it? Was it a weather balloon? Denial, mm -hmm. mass hysteria, hallucination. So it's like there's all these explanations, but the characters themselves believe fully that this is what's real. When everything around them says, "Oh no, that wasn't real. There's no evidence." Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, but even the people who are trying to debunk the theorists. Um, they're, they're not debunking that the theorists saw anything. They're trying to explain what they saw. Mm -hmm. Or why they saw it. Yeah. 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 Like you said, you know, oh, I don't doubt that they saw what they thought was a UFO. <laughs> yeah, but, but meanwhile, you know, everybody, even, even the most rigid skeptic has had something happen in their life. It's like, you know, like I heard my Nana call my name and that was the moment she was dying in Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. You know, <laughs> or, you know, uh, when my, my brother and I read that magic spell, I swear to God, we had a week of bad luck. <laughs> I like it. I like it. It's real good. I mean, oh, even yeah. for the first episode, as rough as it was at the start, I'm, uh, I'm very into this. I'm looking yeah. forward to the next game. In fact, actually, I was ready to go on for like another two or three hours. <laughs> <laughs> I think this first episode did a really good job of setting up even though we did it in on slack and in in a little bit in the session zero i think that this uh was setting up the contacts between the characters and showing their their drive and reasonings and their yeah. how they're going to play into whatever happens in the future it, it is very important that that you guys lean on each other uh during care gen because that's that's where the exciting and original ideas are going to come from the, the living human beings who are the players in the game. But aside from 
having written the book and given you a copy of the book, um, I'm kind of hands off until we begin playing. But just like in Apocalypse World, you, you do want to explore the relations between the characters, but it's also important to show that the world they're living in is not a static and unmoving mm. thing. It's a living thing. So that becomes my job. While you guys breathe life into your characters, I'm trying to breathe life into the space between you and around mm. you. Uh, and to come up with moving, active, you know, either threats or goals or mysteries or something bigger than you. And whether you whether you decide to move in that direction or not isn't even so important. My my job is to make sure that like picture three hundred sixty degree cameras surrounding you wherever you go, every set, right? My job is to make sure that every degree around you uh feels like a living world that's got shit going on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, you do it well, so mm-hmm. yeah, I just, yeah. I just thought of something. The uh you know when I was trying to think of my scene and what, and everything I'm trying to realize like, man, he's, he's a loner. Like the only person he lives with or hardly has any constant contact with is his grandmother. And she's like senile. And, and so that's not like, that won't really make a good scene except, except for in like a quick description type thing. I can't really see like any role play happen there. I don't, I don't know if Todd, you just want to like, ramble off gibberish for 30 seconds <laughs> yeah. well, the game, you can do exposition scenes yeah but they don't really drive anything exactly yeah but well but then i, I actually just had the thought of he's he's constantly surrounded by spirits so depending on what the theme of the next episode in i might make you play a ghost <laughs> so it's, what i'm here for bro <laughs> Throw a little echo on it, do a little res- reservation <laughs> on it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can knock yourself out with the audio for that one, John. <laughs> yeah, because it made me think of it when you, you were saying, you know, kind of drive the world around you as well. And I just noticed, like, we all paired up in each of our scenes. We pulled each other in, but didn't really, which made sense for a first episode. But we didn't, like, really try to do much with the world around us. So well, we had Morgan, but I mean, sure, you know, yeah, let's set that up. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and I think that it's probably fair to say that for a first episode, that's probably typical because mm-hmm. I like another player at the table, I do need to get my description out there. So mm-hmm. that uh, even if, okay, you guys, you know, like you could have created very different characters, right? You could have created one who was a criminal, another who was a cop, and one would be chasing the other right away. There would be, like, no reason for me, <laughs> for me to even do anything, right? But you created these characters who were kind of more subtle and deeper and intellectual, and we had this theme that seemed to be developing about magic and what magic means, and is it real or is it not real? Is it stagecraft or is it uh, cultural tradition or is it is it two, is it different kinds like I love that scene between John and Jesse where they're like basically dissing each other's magical school. <laughs> um, so for the first episode, we need for you guys and also for the, you know, like the viewing audience at home, we need to let that reality um, soak in and just give us the, just like the, the hint of the beginning of what will probably be the plot that pulls us through the whole season. Mm-hmm. You know, and it looks like it's going to focus around 
Tio and this drug, Cisco and La Familia. Mm-hmm. But then again, we haven't even seen you guys do your signature moves yet. You could completely right. pull me in some other direction. Actually, what when you're talking about that, it's uh, it would be interesting actually in in edit like of the show. You know, I, you mentioned Sean that we sh- we basically shot everything in reverse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it would be interesting though if actually like flipping that around, the buildup of the world is more interesting. I think in the reverse, where you know we have like a pretty <laughs> a pretty common scene of like a gang. You know, you know, gang <laughs> issue in a in a in a market, and then I talk to Manny talks to Javier about getting in touch with his uncle, and that's kind of, you know, there's there's not a ton of like content overtly okay, so expressed be, there. It would be the it would be the the, the gang scene at Morgan's, and yep. then Manny talking to Javier, and then Javier yep. talking to Filippo, yep. and then last it would be Filippo going out to the airport. And yeah. Cisco back to the drugs, which connects yeah. Morgan. Which yeah, that would actually be the, the last final one. end cap with the um, Casper and Morgan at the mm-hmm. shop. Yeah. But even we have that uh, that that quick scene with with uh, Filippo too, where he actually has feels like the ghost of his grandfather and everything like that build up, and so that's when we have like the spiritualism of the world start to kind of breach in slightly. Oh yeah. You yeah, know, I mean, it was quite on purpose that I made sure to involve literally seeing the dead mm-hmm. in the opening sequence, so you yeah. guys would know, and the viewing audience at home would know. This yeah. is this is a world where supernatural things happen. Mm-hmm. You'll see it on camera. Yep. And now that, and I think with especially with what you did with Filippo at the end, with you know, in the middle of that scene, as it makes if from a viewer's perspective you know yet the the spirit world is happening but now with that that was the first like true connection with the other side what's interesting about that scene is that technically that means he had the ghosts then he saw cisco and the other character came in and talked to him so right there was a ghost and right after the ghost the other character comes in so like the ghost oh you're right but yeah. I'm, I'm curious if that's like is the ghost appearance is impacted by the spiritual people around him mm. exerting sort of force over the like barrier between worlds. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah, it kind of makes me want to retcon just like a, a three second scene where Javier comes in and your 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 grandfather like disappears. <laughs> <laughs> and then he talked to him and then he left off after Cisco. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, and I'm really, I'm really digging it. I think everything, like it, the drama system and the way the Robert Laws with the uh, the Hillfolk stuff, merges together. It really just creates these organic emergences. Uh, oh, something I wanted to ask a little earlier. Uh, so this is playerful facing. This is very like player oriented, and you kind of just prod us along. But that means we can play not just our characters, but also uh, like our subsidiary characters around us, like my assistant or if they have, you know. You can can tell me what what they do, as I think you did a little bit. Um, Or if you would prefer, you can ask me to play them. If you need to have a conversation. Oh, I have no problem having a conversation with myself. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, uh, actually, basically, it's just, it's open. You know, um, we'll, we'll, 
do whatever we want to do. I'm sure if you really, if you ask nicely, you could even get another PC, another player to uh, play an NPC for a minute. Got it. Got it. Yeah, we're open. Whatever, whatever you want to do. Um, there are, uh, there is a difference in the rules, but functionally speaking, it's not very important between minor characters and supporting characters. Um, the main bit difference being that, you know, minor characters are, are basically functional only, you know, they're the valet who parks your car. You never see them again. Um, but, uh, supporting characters would be like those who have a name and a desire of their own mm. and we'll see them again and again. Mm. Uh, and a supporting character, um, might argue against you. Like if you had a, an important supporting character who you wanted something from, it wouldn't really make much sense for you to do a dramatic scene against yourself. So I would have to play them and then we'd see like who, you get it. It should yeah. be two people apart from each other. Yeah. Get it. That makes sense. But aside from that, and not only characters, but also locations, events, history, surroundings, um, you know, don't feel limited to just making up your own character or your own place of business or your own home. You can make up whole big chunks of the city. You can make up gangs. You can make up the name of the mayor and what he looks like. You're, you're as much of a writer on this show as I am. <laughs> uh, if anybody has any problem with anything ever, it's a democratic game. We, we go to a vote. 50% or more is uh, carries. Plus, I think uh, an example of our scenes, all three of us seem to know when to inject uh, conflict and drama. Uh, like we didn't, I don't think any of us really took the easy road. We made sure that there was some sort of like struggle in our scene. Mm -hmm. Well, the Kerogen system makes sure of that. And you just have to remember to use what's there. So, you know, like I said before, if, if you ever don't know what to do in a scene, you look down, look at your desire and look at your polls. And like Jesse said, choose one. Um, so choose a poll and figure out how to get closer to your desire. Because that is what your character would do. That's 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 what we decided. Right? <laughs> you know, but uh, like the if this is a TV show, the viewers at home don't know that yet. We, we prefer to see it enacted. I would have liked to one like wound up with the scene, you know, maybe just an expositional scene with, with Javier at his grandmother's grave. Yeah. Well, you know what? The night has, it's not that late. We could pick up right where we left off next time. Mm -hmm. Or I could, I could remind you that it's the first day of a three day long festival. Mm -hmm. um, and in this town, as in many towns, the cultures differ from place to place and traditions differ from place to place. But here, I've decided that it's a the first night is honors the the children who are departed. Uh, the second night is for adults, and then the last night is um, all souls Eve. Okay, well maybe it would make sense then that that he would go to. Yeah, it might make more sense that tomorrow is the day, the big day for you. Okay. I think open with that scene next game because uh, at the gravestone is like a great opening scene. Mm -hmm. Now can I, so uh, Manny can see the spirits. And mm -hmm. then I guess, you know, Filippo has his own thing where he at least sees his grandfather. Uh, would Javier see the spirits tonight? I don't know if that's something he would normally see. I don't know that it's part of that background. Well, or could he, maybe he could feel it, right? Like you feel the energy because of the magia. Oh, you can definitely feel it. And okay. to be honest, I think I'm probably 
stretching it a little bit to to just go ahead and say Manny sees the spirits like all time. Mm -hmm. But my assumption there, and I, we could, if you want, go ahead and, and give Jesse a, a communing role. Um, but my guess was since he can do it on purpose a lot and part of his character definition is he wants to sort of like get away from it or get it under control right. that there was enough bleed over to allow it um, whereas whereas in your case your background and your skills don't point in that direction yeah yeah, yeah. it makes a little less sense uh however if we were in the if we were in the park on a warm afternoon and there were three crows and one of them was bigger than the other two and kept looking at you in a funny way. And you said, I think that crow is a rival magician. I would agree with you. Mm -hmm. You know better than I do. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And with, with Manny, with him kind of seeing the spirits all the time, I wasn't trying to like game the system at all or anything. It's just when I was looking at a lot of the, 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 uh, Brujo uh, signature moves and everything. They're uh, most of them, if not all, seem to be uh, focused on controlling the spirits. And so I felt that, like, being like actually seeing them when he didn't want to see them uh, actually showed his lack of control. And I agree. It, his but, inability to tap into the to the abilities. Plus, if I wanted a, a chicken exit, I can always bail two days later and say, no, it's because during El Dia de Muerte, the veil is thinner. Right, yeah. But I think it's narratively appropriate. I mean, not everything's got to be a role, right? I mean, it makes the character more interesting to say that, that you know, that's something that happens. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a just picture that scene. Right. Like he's having this intense conversation where they're kind of like they're kind of attacking each other a little bit and defending themselves. Mm -hmm. but at the same time, he keeps like looking to the left and right, which to Javier probably makes him look shifty and shady. Yeah. But when but when the camera cuts to Manny's point of view, you see what he sees. Mm. <laughs> That's a fucking shocking scene. <laughs> I love Dude, that's awesome. I love just the visualization of that of a normal like, yeah, there's still there's like a party going on and everything's happening. But like you see everything from Javier's point of view where it's like just like all the people having a party and everything like that. But then you switch to Manny's view and there's also like just hundreds of skeletons glowing <laughs> walking around yeah. like, min like milling about in, amongst the people. <laughs> Now that's a cool fucking scene. Yeah. There's a lot of tension and it's weird because like the the tension on the surface it has nothing to do with the tension that's happening visually. Mhm. Mm it's almost like a rivalry. Yeah. yeah it, that's how I I mean that's how I read a lot of it in in the book is that there in John exactly how you played it out is like you almost have like the light and the dark. It's not necessary. it's not like Jedi and Sith where they hate each other, but like the you're, you're both like after the, the same goal, but you have different paths to exactly. That and like the shamans are like look down upon like the dark magic, like the dark of the of the brew. But then you also like like screw you, goody two shoes type stuff to the other side. <laughs> it's like yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Plus, on a character level, um, Javier is interested in like 
personal enlightenment. Mm-hmm. You know, so a- anything lesser, mm-hmm. you know, he's going to be judgmental of. Yep. Like, I love even that, if yeah. you were a Brujo, if you were like, he probably looks down on Morgan a little bit because her magic is merely practical. Mm. It has nothing to do with elevating your soul. Mm. It's just like winning the lotto. Like, oh, can <laughs> I make myself win? No. Yeah, she's like on the like the most basic level. Mm-hmm. Selling hexes to, uh, and I mean that's probably also some of the stuff that you know Manny does just to make a buck to get by, which is what Javier uh, hates about it. Is you know like I'll fine, I'll make a hex to for your ex boyfriend, so his uh-huh. dick falls off, like that kind of stuff. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you're the source of Morgan's dark magic materials. Yeah. Yeah, and then they wind up over at Tio's house. And they're like, "Hey, I've got this problem. Can you fix it?" Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. My jealous lover made my dick turn black. <laughs> <laughs> you know, or it can. I mean, and in this world, it could. That absolutely happens. That absolutely happens. Hell, in this world, a rival magician not only turns into coyote, but he turns into a coyote and kills your sheep. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. You come out and find the dead animal. I don't know. I don't. I don't. I, you know, Javier wouldn't do that, but All right. I mean, I guess you could. Oh, you know, what? <laughs> you know, what? we gotta um, create a, a, a not a rival, but like an evil version of Javier who is killing sheep, and then Javier <laughs> go out and stop him, like you know, coyote on coyote combat. <laughs> Some hot coyote on coyote action. <laughs> mage versus mage. Wow. Right. There's um. There's a scene in my head. It kept going through my head when I was writing this book because it's like the the penultimate um, fusion or pastiche <laughs> of like the the major tones in the book. I keep picturing this. Uh, it would have to be like a, a whole campaign where it's mostly about cops fighting drugs and illegal immigration, mm. but along the way, um, the the local community gets tired of this war and and calls their magicians into play so then you end up with magic versus bullets hmm. that's what kept going when i was writing this book i'm like it's sooner or later that campaign is going to happen <laughs> where like half of the players are like totally real world characters like cops mm-hmm. and businessmen uh and and then half of them are magicians and we're going to end up with a duel of bullets versus magic mm-hmm. you know what's going to happen Right. And that's yeah, I mean when we created our characters, I I don't think we necessarily meant to, but it was it's kind of the process and I think what what we're all used to is like classic classic game like gamers is that I think we we just happen to lean towards making a cohesive group. Cuz like when you play like D&D or anything, like you're you're kind of driven while while having some infighting is nice, like we're ultimately driven to create a cohesive group that works together. But what you just mentioned, it's like what never even crossed my mind is like creating a rival in the same group. Like we don't have to work together. You don't have to, you don't have to to work. We could have a drug dealer. One could be a drug dealer. One could be an FBI agent. (laughs) And like that, That could be a thing in this game, and just all of our cont- contacts with each other are yeah. 
we we're not helping each other because in, in a typical game we have to come up with some sort of conceit of why these people would stay together adventure after adventure dungeon exactly, after dungeon yeah. right but here the drama actually comes it's it's more interesting if you don't get along mhm um because that's going to create interesting scenes interesting right. tension and that tension is really that's what you're watching TV for. If you, nobody watches a show where everything's fine and everyone gets along and nothing <laughs> happens, that would be a really bad show. Mm-hmm. Um, what's important to remember is that unlike the traditional game, there's no sense of like my character's going to win mm-hmm. because a win here is whatever the coolest, most dramatic fucking thing is. Even if, it's like John mentioned fiasco, or this is one thing that, that it has in common with fiasco. Sometimes in fiasco, the coolest thing that can happen is for your character to die in some tremendously mm-hmm. cinematic way. And that's like the coolest scene in the whole movie. Why not? You know, it winning doesn't mean winning. Winning means oh, a yeah. fucking awesome story that I would yeah. watch. We're we're here to serve the experience of the story and not ourselves. Mm-hmm. But in doing so we serve ourselves. <laughs> but, yeah. But even like you know, the way I was thinking about it is, uh, you know, originally it's we all usually the way the game is set up is like the players are the good guys, and then the GM plays like the bad guys, yeah. and like that's where the versus comes in. But that's in this case, you're just like you said, you're more of the director, like just going things and filling in what roles need to be done, and so the conflict could cut like we don't have to have all the cops be the stars of the show like you could have a couple cops be the stars and you could also have a couple of drug dealers be the stars like yeah and it can work on different levels too so i'm you know you you try to be a good gm i'm watching you guys if you guys ever stall you know it's like that apocalypse move thing where if if the players ever stall and like look at the gm like well what happens now that's when i whip out a gm action and Mm. that I, you know, I introduce a new problem or I, I demand some sort of payment or toll or money or I, I make your situation worse. Mm-hmm. And because, because <laughs> again, it's like, it's the bad shit that makes the plot interesting. Right. So whenever you guys get stuck, I throw in more bad shit. Um, <laughs> but it also scales because if you guys, if you guys like became like, if you decided in scene one that you're going to band up and, and, and forge a, a vow that the three of you will, help each other through thick and thin one for all and all for one save Morgan and clean the town. And like you decide we're going to become buddies and superheroes. and We're going to be the good guys. Well, then I would just a start throwing bad guys at you, but then B I would also start looking at playing you against each other. Mm -hmm. Like an NPC who really likes one of you and does favors, but hates the other one. (laughs) I think of it as your prod and stick. You know, whenever the game's not going, you just reach your stick in and you prod something until it moves. Yeah, and there's actually a list of moves that I can do. So it's just like Apocalypse World, right? I, really? I choose one of these. Yeah, I'll read them to you. Put someone in a difficult situation. Bring news of something happening off screen. Make known an impending threat. Demand money. Offer an opportunity. Take away something. Show the downside of an advantage or inflict harm. Huh. So basically, by the rules of the game, uh, there are. Uh, this also happens, by the way, when you when you fail, when you roll two or less mm-hmm. on on any procedural roll. So if you roll two or less, I whip out one of these actions and I make your life harder. Hey. 
I get to choose which one. And ultimately, that makes it more interesting. Yeah. But other than that, most of the problems should come from you guys because before we even start acting out scene one, you already have tension and problems between you. The game made sure of that. Right. No, that's, you know, when, you know, we play the, the cipher system and I like that in that, you know, whenever there's a failure, if you want to make things harder and everything, it, the system says, like, just throw stuff at them. But it's not very specific in how to, so it leads a lot of interpretation up to the GM, mm -hmm. which can be nice, but at the same time, it's overwhelming. I like how with this system, it's like, okay, you can throw stuff at them and like you probably don't you don't have to do those exactly but it's like these are this is a list of things you can do and it doesn't well, tell you how to do them the but inverse is also true because it's like <laughs> i don't make a move until you guys right. either run out of moves or or blow a roll mm -hmm. because yep. until because the drama because ideally the drama comes straight out of you guys mm-hmm no, I just like that it gives you the freedom to do it, but at the same time, it gives you, you know, there, there's the list there of you can just be like, this is the bad shit that you can do. Yeah. Like, it's right there, and it, there's, there's enough options that you have plenty of freedom to do whatever you want, but there's still, like, that, that hint there of, yeah. like, same with the, the system does for us creating a, creating a scene. It's like, you can create whatever you want, but this is a good starting point. Yeah, and I think um, we may have to tip the hat to uh, Vincent Baker for that in, as a general, uh, as a general uh, technique. Mm -hmm. uh, the idea of presenting people with a list of stuff, but not making it a die roll table, but just like mm -hmm. a choose one of these. Right. I um, love Baker's stuff so much, man. You know, and there's a lot of games that do that now, but I think Apocalypse World was the first game I saw that really turned that into a tool, both for. Really? Making your character and also for the GM while running. Before that, didn't he do dogs in the vineyard? Uh, I don't know which one came first, honestly. Uh, that's uh, like all his stuff is like that. That's it's great. I mean, that's a, that's a good middle ground between, you know, telling you what to do or leaving you completely floundered. It's what reinvigorated my whole like gaming life was reading Apocalypse World. Because it was so different than anything I'd ever encountered. Absolutely. I, I wish that he'd hired me to be the developmental editor on that, because I think the organization of that book is yeah. some of the worst I've ever seen in a game rules book. Oh, I mean, he just like, he sort, yeah, of, about to say. sort of rambles in stuff. character for like <laughs> nine pages, and then somewhere oh, in the middle... And then somewhere in the, and which it's it's great. It's like he's rambling about fiction, right? So it's going on. He's painting a picture of Apocalypse World, but in in the middle of that passage was a part about where a character makes a roll, and this is the way that the dice work. And then he goes on Jeez. talking. <laughs> That's a uh, uh, so Broken Pillars, a game that I've been trying to get together and work on for like ever and never comes out. Uh, one of the, the the first iteration of it is I wanted to separate the crunch and the fluff into two separate books. It's, it's impossible because, you know, your narration style eventually bleeds over. But I really like, you know, books where they have, like, all the rules are right here. It's right up front. And then you could just go on and on about all the setting and characters and stuff afterwards. Cause, I'm, uh, on, uh, I'm, I'm editing the, the Atlas of uh, Chromatic Chameleon's upcoming role-playing world, which is kind of a D&D-esque fantasy world um, that Tiffany Gray is working on. 
And what I suggested there, and I think she's decided to go for it, was to do what you just described twice at once by using the sidebar. So like two thirds of the page width is basically not, I don't want to say fluff text, but it's your, it's your expositional text. Yeah. Right. This is an atlas of a fantasy world. So there's a lot of expositional text, but wherever appropriate in the sidebar is the rule that pertains to that. Like we're talking about mm-hmm. weather right now. And that right there is where we put the weather table. Or if you have uh, if you have rules throughout the book, have one section of the book that condenses all the rules to play the game into one like just rules uh, summarized like all together, and then you can have like rules throughout it. But those rules, uh, like the the main condensed form, will yeah. say you know for further information, see later page of the book. But yeah. I think and one- it turns out you need to play test before you have any idea what those rules oh, yeah. should be. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. Because like I released Day Trippers, I had only play tested it like two or three times, and I, you know, with people that I run all the time and making all the assumptions I typically make at home, and uh, I created all these tables and charts and shit, and both books are out. Okay, so then I went, okay, it's time to make the GM screen because I need more product. I'll make a GM screen, and I pulled all these tables out of the book and I arranged them all. Well, it's like four years later now. And I've run a lot more day trippers. And half the shit on that DM screen I almost never look at. <laughs> and the stuff that I do look at should be more front center and bigger. And even the author of the game didn't know that until he'd run his own game for a couple of years. Mm. Oh, quick side note. I was on Reddit looking for what's surreal or dreamlike weird games where what seems like it's real is not actually real. And they listed, you know, like Colt, Don't Rest Your Head, et cetera, et cetera. And then halfway through the list, I saw Day Trippers. Right on. Nice. Twinkle fingers. It's good to be mentioned. It's good to be known. I read on, also on Reddit, um, probably about a month ago, uh, in a thread that was about completely something else. But for some reason, it meandered into uh, Jeff Vandermeer's um, Annihilation. Yeah. And one guy said he's using the Day Trippers rules to run an Annihilation campaign. Oh, nice. I'm so fucking awesome. <laughs> oh, man. I have yeah. his, uh, his Wonder... Actually, I think it's right behind me. That is an amazing book. I got his uh, uh, Wonder Book. I don't know if you've seen this thing. Oh, yeah. This, oh, yeah. Is, this is densely packed. It's amazing. Jeez, that guy is on something else. I know, right? <laughs> I need to get into more him and uh, it's his China Melville. Oh yeah, you haven't read a lot of Melville. I I have one of his books. I just I need to pour into the rest of them. I would have expected you to have read a lot more. Although honestly, I, I he's very hit and miss for me. Sometimes I fucking love it, and other times I'm like, dude, what are you trying to do? Dude, there's so many books. I I pile, my entire room is just piles of books. I'm like, oh, I'm gonna read that. I'll just put it on the. Stack. <laughs> yeah. oh. You don't get to moan about your financial situation when you buy as many books as I know you buy. Hey, now, now, <laughs> now. <laughs> yeah, if I stopped uh, buying any more books, I would still like not run out of stuff to read for the next five years. I stopped buying books ten years ago, and I still have books in this room that I have not read. So I can tell you. <laughs> Oh, and uh, well, I could pull the camera up around. 
entire wall over there is just nonstop. Holy oh. fuck. Oh, hey, there's a child there waving at you. <laughs> Hello, child. Hello, child. All right, so we want to wrap this up. I think we've run out of steam, gentlemen. All right. Well, I want to thank everybody for checking this out. Hopefully they'll uh, tune in for the uh, continuing adventures. We have, what, about six episodes planned, I think, is what we were talking about? For a total of six, yeah. So five more coming, and who knows? All right. Well, again, thank you for everybody for checking it out. Uh, we have Coffee for Sale, the legendary brew. There's links in the show notes, or you can go to tinyurl.com forward slash legendary brew to pick up that awesome coffee roasted by our own Neil, Birds of a Feather Coffee Company. It's a Thanks, small, Neil. yeah, small batch craft coffee roaster. Uh, everything's roasted to order, especially if you order the legends. It's not sitting somewhere in a bag. If you order it today, it'll be roasted within a few days and get to you as fresh as it could possibly be. Uh, a little bit of money comes back to the show, and we appreciate that. If you order it, it's really good. It's what I drink all the time. I just ordered two bags of whole bean coffee, so that coming soon, I hope. <laughs> I got the notification, so I'm looking forward to that. And uh, Todd's got other borders for sale. There's links for that in the show notes. Also, uh, Fictioneers.net. You can check out all the cool games over there. Day Trippers, obviously, you hear that all the time. Uh, so please check all those things out. And uh, thanks for coming. Thanks for checking it out. We'll catch you next time. Peace. Bye. This podcast is a proud member of the Legends of Tabletop broadcast network. For more gaming-related content, please visit www.legendsoftabletop.com.